When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So excited for today's podcast because I've wanted to interview my friend Dean Kane for a while. And one day I just decided to message him to see if he would consider it since I know he's incredibly busy. And he messaged me right back and said, done. And get this, not only did he agree to come on the podcast, but he found out I was in Las Vegas for my belated 50th birthday three years later. And he invited my best friend and I to his home on July 4th for a little celebration he was having with close family and friends. Needless to say, we went and had a wonderful time. And I've met a few celebrities here and there throughout my career. They can be kind of different sometimes off camera. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But with Dean Kane, he really is the type of person that will come talk to you and he exudes warmth and good vibes. I've seen fans come up to him in person. He truly loves to chat with people, give them a picture or an autograph. And I think it has a lot to do with the way he was brought up. We talk a lot about that and the importance of family in his life. His mom and dad and his brother live close to him and have for most of his life. And then when he talks about his son, Christopher, it will bring tears to your eyes. Obviously, a lot of people know him for his role as Superman on Lois and Clark, as well as his movie and TV career. He's a writer. He's a producer. He was also a star athlete in high school and college and would have played NFL football for a long time if it wasn't for an injury that took him off the field. Dean's attitude about life, career, family, so incredibly impressive. I really enjoyed our conversation and he promised we would do it again soon. Maybe when he's in New York or I get out to Las Vegas, but I am proud to call him a good friend and he feels like part of my family. So here is my buddy, Dean Kane on the Janice Dean podcast. Dean Kane, you made the Dean's list. I love, well, I was on the Dean's list just by virtue of my name, I think, because <laughs> there's a Dean and a Dean. So I figured I was on that list anyway, just by, by virtue of Dean Martin, who I'm named after. Is that true? That's absolutely true. My mother, who you've met, who's slightly insane and lovely and incredible. <laughs> I love your mom. Yeah, she she loved Dean Martin. And uh, I was supposed to be a girl. I was going to be named Deneen. Oh. Um, and then I came out a boy and uh, she went with Dean after Dean Martin. So I love that uh, little connection. I love she, that. She should have named me after Janice Dean, but since I'm six years older than you. <laughs> oh, come on. And we I mean, full disclosure here, you and I saw each other last week in Las Vegas. Yes. <laughs> and you are just one of the kindest people because I wanted to do this podcast with you. And then I let you know that I was going to be in Las Vegas last week for a, you know, belated 50th birthday party by three years with my girlfriend, Nira. And you were so kind. You're like... Come see me. We're having a 4th of July party because I just moved to Las Vegas and we came and it was amazing. Thank you for coming, first of all. 
but you are the nicest. You're not only the nicest Dean, but you're the nicest person out there. So uh, it was a, it was a no brainer to invite you. And I was so happy that you could come see my new home and that we could spend a little time in Las Vegas running around you and myself and Nira and, and some of my family. We had a blast. I did. So we went for the 4th of July party and your mom and dad were there, your son and your brother. I love that you're so connected with your family. Tell me about that. That's a big thing, you know, and, and it's one of those things that I think is so important and gets lost today with the way things have gone and um, the way people are trying to tell you how to raise your kids and what to do and, you know, and, and, and putting in place laws telling you about, you know, if you don't affirm your child's gender at, you know, seven years old, mm. um, that you're some sort of a terrible parent. My parents, my family are super tight and connected. Um, I've had tremendous support throughout my entire life. It's one of the reasons I was able to, you know, uproot myself and go to Princeton University and play football and do all those things because I knew I had the support of my family. A hundred percent. So much support, in fact, that they moved out to Princeton my senior year and went to every single football game home and away. They were the first people in the in the stadiums. We'd be pulling in three hours before the game. My parents would already be driving in. Oh, that is so important. And you know, growing up, I had good parents, but there were times where they didn't show up to those things. And mm. I, listen, I love my mom. My mom's still with us and we're closer than we ever have been. But that's something that I took with me and decided early on when I had children that I was going to show up for those things. Those are so important. And to hear you tell me that your parents moved uh, to see your games at school brings tears to my eyes. It brought tears to my eyes. It was the greatest thing in the world, pulling into Davidson in North Carolina. You know, we just got off a plane, or, you know, the night before we got off a plane and we're down there, we're pulling in. I'm listening to my little, my my Walkman. That's right. I, <laughs> I said remember. Walkman. <laughs> and getting ready for the game as we're coming in, somebody nudges me and my buddy sitting next to me points. There's one car in the stadium parking lot. It's my parents. Oh. And I was like, yep. But it, it, it does, it gives you that, Ability. I mean, they because they didn't they weren't able to see my games. They got to see maybe one a year on TV uh, or came to one ever before that, you know, so they never got to see my games. They would have to hear how I did afterward. And it was rough because they were at everything. My dad coached everything. So I made absolutely sure that I was that exact kind of parent. Mm -hmm. um, I, I coached every one of my son's teams or was a coach on the team. Um, and I, I mean, I remember driving. I'm sorry, filming in Nova Scotia. And I remember filming all night on a Friday night until the sun came up in Nova Scotia. When the sun came up, we were done filming because it was a night shot. And uh, I got on a plane. I slept on the plane from Nova Scotia to L.A., landed in L.A., drove, uh, drove or got a car to my son's football game where I, where I coached it, then took him home, had him for the night, uh, and then the following day um, I, I returned him to his mom. This is when we shared custody. Um, and then, uh, and then I, I got on a plane and flew back to Nova Scotia in order to arrive just in time to, uh, to film the whole next day. Mm. And I was there yeah. and he just took it for granted, which I loved. I wanted him to take that for granted, mm. to have the strength to know my dad's going to be there. Of course he's going to be there. Oh. I mean, it's so much so that even when he went to college, uh, in high point university where he just graduated from high point university in North Carolina, 
I became an innovator in residence there. I teach film and acting and and screenwriting and stuff there um, a couple times a year. So I'm or, or two or three times a year. Um, so I'm there all the time. His freshman year, I visited him 11 times. Oh. He was like, Dad, you can bring that number down a little bit. <laughs> He'll remember that. He will. He'll know that. He knows it. And when he has children, he's going to do the same. I think it's really important. Listen, it can't be every single time. There are things that we are going to miss. Um, but if if you show up most of the time, I think it makes a tremendous difference. Now, t- you know, you didn't, l- you have an acting family. Obviously, you know, your mom did some acting and your dad was a director. So you were from this family, but you decided to, you know, go to school. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> rare. Yes. Yeah, well, if you look at the kids I grew up with, Sean Penn, Chris Penn, Rob Lowe, Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, Holly, excuse me, Holly Robinson, so many of them um, didn't, although I'm, Holly may have gone to, to school. She's probably the smartest of the bunch of us. Um, but um, uh, those kids were all becoming actors at the same time, too. But I, I was really dead set on being an athlete, a student, um, and then sort of figuring out what I wanted to do. None of those guys were acting when we were real young. They just started acting as uh, as I was getting into the later part of high school. And uh, in fact, Charlie hadn't even started acting until just before just the end of high school. And he was only a year ahead of me. And our parents worked in the business. And so it was kind of weird uh, for me to even think about because I felt like such a young kid. I just felt like I was had to go to college first. It was just in my it was ingrained in my brain, maybe because of the athletics that I was involved in. I knew I wanted to go next level use my athletics in my brain to to help get me into school and uh, get me a scholarship so my parents wouldn't have to pay for it. Turns out that this place I chose to go to school doesn't give athletic scholarships, so my dad paid for it anyway. Mm. Um, I turned down a whole bunch of uh, scholarship opportunities to go to Princeton University because I thought it was the best school in the world, Mm -hmm. and I think I was right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and tell me about your athletic career. I know it came to an abrupt end, but I I love because you and I had a discussion. My son wants to go into football, and you know I'm concerned about injury. So is my husband. You know he played football as well in high school and college, and there was always an ambulance on the side of the field, <laughs> and he would always see that. And he got injured, and you said to me, "You got to let him do it," and you know. Looking at your history, you did get injured. Yeah, but I never got carted off in the ambulance. I did get knocked unconscious a couple of times, yeah. which is a horrible thing to say. It uh, wasn't until college. I had no injuries, really. I had a couple injuries in high school. That's that's true, but they were smaller injuries. But, you know, there's so many things in this world that we can do um, and so many ways we can hurt our bodies. And there's so many things that can happen to us. That, you know, you got one shot here. And and I, uh, for me, it was so imperative to to go ahead and just be that athlete. Mm. Um, I couldn't have, I mean, so much of my identity was wrapped up in being an athlete. I mean, I was the top athlete in my high school and we had a, over 3,000 students for three grades. I go, I won the, what they call the, the Lauren Dwight Switchenberg Award, which is a top athlete there. I, got, I was voted the top athlete at Princeton University as well um, because I played multiple sports there. I just love playing sports. Now, football itself is a violent game. Um, It's a game that I um, excelled at, felt extremely comfortable. Um, It's not that I like violence, but I do like the violence that you can can 
participate in on the football field during the game we're gonna brawl i mean i will i will hit you as hard as i can i will i will not try to injure you but i will try to knock you clean out Mm -hmm. but after the game we're best friends Mm -hmm. and we appreciate that that ability to lay it all out there your body and your mind and your everything out there um it's just something about it football to me has been the biggest influence um, on my life in that sense that fo- that life is like football. There's always going to be somebody bigger, faster, or stronger. You need your teammates to succeed. Hard work does translate to achievement on the field, and it's a meritocracy. You earn your starting spot by working harder than the next guy, and then that's so much about it I love. You get knocked down eight times, you got to get up nine times. Mm. It's really a lot like life. So uh, for me, it was a very important um, a huge number of my my life lessons came from playing football. Uh, well, I love that story. And what was it like? I mean, you got into the NFL. Um, that's incredible as well. <laughs> the Buffalo Bills. I got lucky because I broke a number of NCAA records as a, as a defensive back, and that got me a little bit of notoriety. It also helped a lot that Jason Garrett, who who was in the NFL for like 13 years and then coached the Cowboys for nine years, the head coach there, now he's an analyst, but I think he's going to end up coaching again at some point, probably. Jason Garrett's all he and, and his two brothers were on our squad. They were fantastic. Their dad, um, they're all coaches in the NFL now, and they all played uh, in the NFL. Um, their dad was a was a was a, a scout, a professional football scout, and he was watching all our games since we were in because we were classmates. Um, we started as classmates, and so he's like, "Who is this kid? This safety." who keeps making all these tackles and all these interceptions. And he said, you know, this guy needs, he, he deserves a shot. So he helped me get to the NFL, which was, uh, you know, the confluence of things that have to happen for you to get from Princeton to the NFL. I mean, whew, it's not very often. There was a kid taken in the fifth round, I think this year to um, Andre Yosevich, uh, who's gone to Cincinnati. So I'm excited for him. There's a number, you know, smattering throughout the NFL, but it's really, you need a lot of luck you need some politics on your side um, and a little bit of notoriety, and you might get that shot. Mm. So I went as an undrafted free agent the day after the draft. And I, so for me, the great thing is, even though I got hurt, I know that I belong there. Mm. I felt super comfortable in their system. Um, that We lost the AFC championship my rookie year. I was in there the same year as Thurman Thomas was drafted. Uh, and then the next four years were all Super Bowl years. So had I stayed healthy and had I made the squad – which I believe for sure that I would have, um, I would have had four Super Bowls in five years. Hmm. Do you think about and that? That would have been incredible. You- and of course, if I had played, you know, maybe we'd have won one. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I said that before and I got just absolutely lambasted uh, in the Buffalo press. I was just kidding. You know, you like to believe as an athlete that you'd, you'd line up on the wrong oh, side. Oh, those and- Buffalo fans. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's, they are in a different league of their own. As the Bills Mafia, they are for real. And I think I bet them last year um, to win it all and Josh Allen to be the MVP. But I'm going to make that same bet this year and I'll probably be correct. Wow. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Okay, so when did the acting thing happen? Was it shortly after the the injury and the NFL didn't work out? Well, I knew I was going to be a writer as well. I knew I was going to work in the business, the entertainment business, because I watched what my friends did um, at Princeton. They would go and um, they'd have internships on Wall Street, which I found extremely wow. boring and, okay. still, and still don't like. <laughs> um, it just wasn't my thing because uh, they were going and dressing in suits and working 80, 90 hours a week um, in New York City in the summertime. And I was... Uh, on the set of Young Guns, you know, um, hanging out with my dad as he's making movies. And I was like, wow, which one Which one is more fun? Which is a better way? And since I had grown up on sets my whole life, I thought, you know what? I can't just go do this office thing. Uh, it's just not me. Uh, and so I was just, because I was exposed to it as a young at a young age, I knew I was going to work in film. And, and I started as a writer. The thought was that I was going to be writing um, and and playing football. So I'd be, I'd be screenwriting at, at night and I'd be playing football during the day. And I was prepared to get that done. I was very motivated, but then football was over and uh, I needed to start making some money as well. Um, and so I started doing commercials, you know, going up for commercials, you know, Hey, okay. Six guys, you're all at a party. Uh, take your shirts off and eat the Doritos and pretend you're having a great time. I was like, wow, my parents paid for Princeton. So I could do this. This is great. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I ended up making a whole bunch of movie uh, com- commercials and, and and taking some acting classes and doing some things. And then um, it just sort of transitioned into more and more work as an actor and as a writer. It was great. I actually got Superman uh, at the same time I got a, a contract writing for Hollywood Pictures. So it was kind of fantastic. I had to negotiate negotiate out of the writing because I couldn't do that and and play the role of Clark Kent and Superman at the same time. It was, it was the deadlines were too much. And so, but, but then, uh, then everything was kind of gravy after that. I just started more and more work as an actor and it was fantastic. It was actually so much that I had no time for anything else in my life. And it's part of the reason that I've never done another series where I'm the lead or single co-lead, um, single lead or co-lead because it's just so demanding on your, there's no life Hmm. outside of that. And I don't think it's worth it. Really? When you go back, yeah. what are your what are your memories about it? Was it a good time? Was it? Do you have fond memories? What What do you think about when you of Lois and Clark? Yeah. Oh, extremely fond memories. Mm-hmm. You really do become a family. <clears throat> I mean, that's cliche to say it, but it's just true because you're on set eighteen hours a day with the same people all day long, and you're going through so much. You're doing. You're seeing every sunrise. You're seeing every sunset. You're going through full nights, and starts on Monday morning at about five a.m. And you finish Saturday morning at about 7 a.m. And you're just going all the time. You spend way more time on set than at home or with your family. There's no question about it. I don't know how our poor crew members were able to maintain relationships um, and family relationships because they were never there for nine, nine and a half months a year. Mm-hmm. Now, they could take some days off here and there and someone else could jump in and step in their boots um, you know, for something, you know, the dental appointment or a doctor's appointment or someone's game or something that was important. The hard part about being the actor was we couldn't, we couldn't at all. They were, they were there before us and they were there after us. So their, their hours were insane more so even than ours. Um, but there were different pressures. Um, and I don't know how you maintain a healthy, uh, work life balance doing that. I wouldn't do it. And I haven't done it since I've done ensembles, which is where you have a much nicer work balance. Um, but I would not do a show where I was the single 
lead. There is just no life outside of it, unless it was like 10 episodes, mm-hmm. which a lot of people are doing now, um, because otherwise you just don't have a life. And it's just, I just don't think that's that the trade-off is worth it. And so I haven't done it and I won't do it. Wow. When did you know that? I love life, Janice. I know you do. And I love that about (laughs) you. Uh, When did you know that it was this was going to be a big deal for you right away? Or did it take some time? Well, I thought right away that, you know, my buddy who's who was my roommate at the time, uh, he had to read all my lines with me so I could practice them. So he had to be my lowest lane all the time. And um, (laughs) and when uh, when we finally worked out that I got the role. Um, he and I went on a quick ski trip to his parents' place in Utah and we're, we're sitting, I remember we're sitting on the lift going up and it's, you know, this, it's snowing and it's quiet, that incredibly peaceful, calm, quiet you get when the snow is just falling and it's just got that weird dead silence to it. It's, you can kind of hear the, the chair creaking a little bit and he just, we were just going up in silence and I was thinking about it and he just goes, dude, for the rest of your life, you're going to be known as Superman. Wow. And I remember thinking, I don't even know what that means. Mm. You know, it's it's too big a thing. And I couldn't put two and two together. And then after spending, you know, 18 to 20 hours a day on set for four and a half years, I got quite used to the idea <laughs> because I was zipping around in it. But I didn't think when we first started doing the show, being part of that machinery and being in that, uh, that uh, network world, there were only three networks at the time we started, ABC, NBC, and CBS. There's nothing else. So people were going to watch one of those three networks. It was a big deal and getting ready to do it, all the publicity, all the things. I thought, my God, this is a ton of work. It's so much. And I just, it was all brand new to me. It was overwhelming to to put it mildly. And there were times when I was first starting where I was like asleep in my bed going, no, 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 no more pictures. And I was like, "What, what, what am I doing? So I can see how, you know, as young people, and I was 26 when I got cast. I can see when you're 18, 19, achieving some level of stardom that it could just make you bonkers. And I see how these people, these younger people can really make some huge mistakes. Uh, and I, my heart goes out to them because it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's an awful, especially now with all the advent of social media and all the things that go on. Holy smokes. It's a wonder that anybody can can get through their teenage years and into their you know, young adulthood. It's just, it's just crazy. The pressures that are put on people. But for me, I didn't know it was going to be that big a deal. And then even when we're shooting, you know, we're first season, we weren't a runaway success. We were, we did well, but it wasn't a runaway success. And it kind of always felt like we were, I don't know, sort of on the bubble really it never felt like we were like the Kings because after year one, two other shows came on the lot right next to us on either side of us. Um, one was an hour long medical drama called ER and the other was this, this lovely half hour comedy called friends. Wow. So we watched those two shows just blow up and while we sort of, you know, meandered around and, and did well, but not as well as those two shows, which, which are two of the best shows in the history of television. Mm-hmm. You never know. You just never know. What advice would you give to somebody trying to get into the business these days? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I will give them the same advice my father gave me as an actor. Okay. It was very simple. Three words. Don't do it. Now, having said that, what he really meant, I mean, for me, he said, don't do it because he didn't, He number one, he didn't want me to have to be under the microscope and have all the ridicule that comes with being somebody um, who has lost their anonymity, someone who's a, a public figure. He just said, you know, I don't want that for you. He didn't like it in his own life. And being a director, he had the power and the ability to make movies and stuff, but didn't have to have nearly as much scrutiny as you have as an actor. But it also meant 
if you can think of doing anything else, and this is the way I take it, is if you can think of doing anything else, do that because it's going to be easier. But if you can't think of any other way to make your living or anything else that you want to be a part of, you just have to do it. That's what then 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 go for it. Um, just because it's 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 an unforgiving business. Mm-hmm. You're either too short, too tall, too skinny, too fat, too young, too old. Um, and there's a joke about acting is like, how many actors does it take to play a role? It takes a hundred. One to play the role and a ninety nine to say I could have done a better job. <laughs> um, and it's true. Uh, it's it's a really unforgiving business. You know, even me, like I have had a tremendously successful career. I've made the choices that I've made based on family and life and. Not doing a series on purpose and things like that, but you know, you still get lambasted on Twitter if you if you have a, a an opinion that someone doesn't like. Mm. You know, you're the worst Superman. You're the terror. You know, it's like I'm talking about something politically, and they're like, "You're the worst Superman." I'm like, "That's not really an argument, but uh, <laughs> thank you for playing." Um, and so it doesn't bother me, but it it can bother a lot of people. Yeah, and and it can bother family members and those who love you. Um, my skin is very thick just because I, I go back to being a football player. You know, I would get booed in opposing stadiums and I loved it. Hmm. Bring it on. You know who I am. That's yeah. right. Pay attention because <laughs> I'm going to knock your guy down and I'm going to pick this ball off and I'm going to, you know, whatever the case. So that's how I feel when, when, when I hear these ridiculous people on Twitter or on social media or whatever the case happens to be, you can't get a job, you know, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah I work constantly. Yeah haven't stopped um and and i'm working the way i want to but that's not the way they'll they'll portray it i mean the truth is you know you take elon musk who's one of the he's the richest man in the world he has he's a genius he's a savant of sorts um and if they if he expresses a, a political opinion that that someone doesn't like they immediately start saying how terrible elon musk is and what a failure he is um, I'm sorry. By what criteria? I get it. But I also understand the st- other side of it a little bit. Like, you know, you should allow discussion. And when you get into it as the person who owns Twitter, that puts you in a, a situation because you could sort of remain neutral and just let the other people fight it out. So when he gets on there and says stuff, I'm like, oh, no, don't don't do it because you know it it just kind of puts a target on you when I really truly believe he should sort of oversee it. But you tell me differently. What do you think? Well, I love what he's done with Twitter. He has turned it into really the what it was designed to be or what it was what it was purported to be, which is the town square, mm-hmm. the world's town square where you know he the thing I love about it is he allows people to say what they want to say. He, he, you know, and that's that even means the thing, the horrible things that come my way. And I'm OK with that. That doesn't bother me. That's free speech. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, go ahead. But don't incite violence. Don't threaten people. Those are things where we draw the line because that that creates uh, it does really create violence. I don't think words are violence. I hear so much ridiculousness like that. I think that Elon, um, like he's an enigma. There's nobody like him. Um, and, and I think that, uh, I love the fact that he is on Twitter. I love the fact that he owns Twitter, that he is, he is exposing so much of what was going on with government censorship and, and with, uh, shadow banning accounts and the things that we all thought were going on, uh, he's proven it right. So, you know, maybe he, he, he could remain more neutral, but that goes against every tenet of what he's said, right. which is speak your, speak your piece, mm-hmm. go ahead. And, and the fact that my views happen to align much more closely to his 
um, than maybe to others is is to me uh, it's 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 a it's happenstance in a sense, but I'm it's it's a it's a happy accident in that sense. But but if he said things I don't agree with, you know, uh, on his platform, I could say I disagree with you, and this is why hmm. I wouldn't call him names or anything like that, and all because that's just not what I devote I devolve to. Not very often. Occasionally, it'll get the better of me, and and I'll say something a little bit biting or cutting. But uh, but for, for by and large, I try not to do that. And I love the fact that he he allows it and he takes the incoming arrows. And I don't think it really bothers him that much. Mm-hmm. When did you decide to sort of get into that polit- political arena and, and make it known to some of, you know, your fans? This is how I feel. And this is what I think politically. You know, my my I was I was advised not to do that mm-hmm. um, throughout my career. And, you know, that's fine, but it, it's like living with a blanket over your head. And I got to a certain point in my life and career where I saw things that I thought were wrong. And I thought I saw things that people were just going along to get along. And I thought, this isn't right. To, to uh, This isn't right. And I'm a grown man with, a, with an education and real world experience. I've been to 55 countries or something like that and spent a lot of time in a lot of these different countries and seen – what how 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 people live and what their morals and values are like and i saw how i see how alike we all are and that we all want to raise our families in peace and um and i've seen corruption i've seen i've seen so much um and experienced so much that i felt like you know and, and i'm a history major and i just felt like you know what there's certain times where you have to speak up and i got to a point in my life in my career and being a father that i thought you know what i can't remain silent when i see things that are ridiculous i got to call it out and I remember not doing it a couple of times early in my career and just shaking my head as a result going, what, what, what's wrong with you? You know, that's just weak and, and, and you need to speak up. And, you know, I, I advise people who are young, who are just starting a career in this business. I advise them to not get into politics mm-hmm. and not tell too much of their own story because it sort of gets rid of that. You know, when you're an actor, the less my and my dad put it really succinctly when I was young, Starting, he said, "Don't tell them too much, because um, the media loves to build you up, and they but they really love to tear you down. Yeah. And the more you put out there as an actor about yourself, the less mystery there is behind you. Uh, so, you know, do less and say less. And so I give that same advice to people because uh, I do think that it does color how we perceive our actors. It's gotten so bad now that, like, you know, Jim Caviezel." Is out there right now in that in that film um, Sound of Freedom, Freedom, and, and Jim's a friend of mine, and, and I and I really respect him, and um, he's had a wonderful career. He's out there in that film Sound of Freedom. It's breaking records, you know. It's it's bringing in, you know, it's the number one film out there, forty million over the weekend, and um, people are just trying to use anything he said in the past, which maybe is some controversial views to some. Um, they're using that to boycott him and go after him. And and try to to get the film canceled and talking about how it's you know QAnon adjacent and it's a film a, an anti children's sex trafficking film. Mm. It's the story of Tim Ballard, you know, and it's his real story. So it just it kills me how that stuff does does bleed over. Now I'm the kind of person who I disagree with Robert De Niro's views on so much uh, political views. I, I disagree with um, Rob, Rob Reiner's political views and how mean and nasty he can be on Twitter. But I like Rob Reiner personally. Mm. I know him. I've met him and and I've spent some time with him. Um, I would work with him. I think he's a fantastic director. I can look past that. And I think 
we've gotten away from people being able to do that. And they just vilify um, those who they with whom they disagree. And I think that's that's toxic. It's wrong. And I think the best way to go through disagreements is more discussion. Mm-hmm. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. You talk about not wanting to give the public information when you were younger and in acting. But you know what bothers me is that your love life was so public, <laughs> but almost because of the women that you dated wanting to give that information out. And it that bothers me a little bit because, like, did they consult with you when they were going to give out, like, really big stories about their relationship with you. I'm not going to say any names, but you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> and honestly, it was in the news recently again. And I was like, did anybody ask Dean what he thinks of this? Because obviously it's a big topic of discussion for women. But what about the men? What about you? I worry about you and your feelings about something that's very personal. Yeah, well, in that particular instance, we're talking about Brooke Shields, who is still a wonderful friend of mine. Okay, we that's were, good. I'm glad. We were, that that we makes me happy. We were very much in love. Okay. Yeah, very much in love in college. My college sweetheart. And, you know, the, the things that she went through, family life and stuff, are, are really, really unique. And the challenges she had to deal with with her family, her mom in particular, and that growing up and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yes, she did reach out to me. Okay. And, 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 but she has so much integrity that... Uh, I said, you know, I know you'll be honest. I know you'll tell the truth. And I knew I knew how I had behaved during that relationship. So I was not worried that it would be anything negative toward me because that was, you know, that was young love. I was as mm. straightforward and loyal and committed and 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 just true as I could be. And so I, that doesn't bother me. Um, if, if if she wants to tell that story, that's okay too. You know, I've ended up in in a couple of people's books here and there, sometimes favorably, sometimes not as favorably. And that's okay. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. That wasn't anything that I intended, but it's just sort of the life you end up leading um, when you're in this business and, and have any sort of degree of success. I'm glad to hear that because she does seem like a very... Nicest person outside of you in the world. Oh, you're the best. But I it's also... true. She really is. Oh, that's amazing. And I did read something where, you know, she was able to reach out to you very recently and just go back to the that moment and say, I wish I could have been more present for that and that mm. lovely, you know, relationship that we had. And that was kind of a beautiful thing. A lot of people aren't able to reach out to those people who meant something to them, you know, when they were younger uh, in relationships that were they were in and not given the chance to go back and say, hey, you know, I really appreciate what that was, and I wish I could have enjoyed that more. That's a lovely sentiment to be able to share, and and I think it's just brutally honest. And that also is a testament to her relationship with her husband, you know, her husband Chris. The fact that you know he 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 is so secure, and they're so secure in their relationship that she could say things like that, and mm. it's not seen as some awful, horrible thing. It's really brutally honest, and sharing that might help other people you know, in the, in their relationships, um, when they look at someone like Brooke and go, Oh my gosh, she's such a, an icon, you know, her life must be perfect and everything must be wonderful. And when it's, that's so far from the truth, but I think the fact that she can share something like that and, and I, you know, I wish she had been too, let's be, honest. Mm. <laughs> let's be honest. But at the time, uh, it was what it was. I understood where she was, 
mentally and emotionally. And, um, you know, I knew that there was a lot to, to deal with there because I dealt with it too with her and saw a lot of it firsthand that, that, you know, I don't talk about because that's not my business to discuss. Um, but, but she knows it and she discusses it when she wants to. And it's one of those things, you know, for me, I just keep my mouth shut and, um, and nod and, and if she shares something then um it's always the truth she never she never tells lies you know nothing she says is untrue well so, that that um, makes me love you even more you're just <laughs> that's just a, oh my goodness the only reason i say any of this stuff is i'm trying to get your love janice i'm trying <laughs> well you have it my husband knows that too so you know i'm very open and honest with my husband he actually said to me when i was saying well i'm you know Nira and I are going to go to Vegas and we're going to spend some time with Dean Kane at his apartment or his house. And he was like, I'm going to have to tell my fireman buddies about this. I just, you know, just so you know, just and he made it a kind of a, he would he texted one of his friends, Timmy. I don't I think Timmy will be OK with this. And he made it like, should I be worried that Janice and her girlfriend are going out to Vegas and are going to be at Dean Kane's house on the 4th of July? Uh, with red, white, and blue, and then the, all of the, it's very romantic. Uh, you know that rooftop deck; you could see all the all, all of the was amazing the fireworks. Yeah, it was amazing. No, your your husband is wonderful, and clearly his is very, very um, um, comfortable and committed in your relationship as it should be. And I am certainly no threat. But the fact that he even makes that joke shows exactly how comfortable and confident he is. And it's right, uh, <clears throat> and it's fantastic, and that should be. Jokes, you know, we've gotten away from being able to tell jokes and mm -hmm. make jokes. And be honest with each other and totally be honest oh, with yes. each other, you know. When I, you're totally honest with each other, there's nothing to worry about. Exactly. Yeah. And tell me about your move to Las Vegas because, you know, this was this was in the news, too. You lived in Malibu for how long and you just up and decide to move to Las Vegas? <laughs> I lived in Malibu my whole life. Mm. Um, I was raised there since I was in kindergarten. And uh, obviously, I've lived other places throughout my lifetime. And I worked hard to be able to afford moving back to Malibu. Um, it was after Lois and Clark substantially. It was 20 years ago there, 18 years ago that I moved back to, to Malibu um, after my son was born. And I did it because it was the place that I'd known the best. And it's the most lovely environment um, you know, to, to raise a kid. It's only 13,000 people in Malibu. People think it's this huge place, but it's really small and very rural. And I love that. And that's how I was raised. And I loved it. Um, it was different raising my son there just because, you know, and, and it's people have heard this story before, you know, um, we when I was a kid, we would go out. You know, Hi, OK, breakfast, whatever. It was a week. It was the summertime. And I'd be gone until the uh, play with my friends at their houses back and forth. We had no cell phones. I was gone until it got dark. That was the deal. It had to be home by dark. And uh, but I was everywhere in between, everywhere down at the beach, down playing basketball, down over here at this at, at my friend's house, at this at the picking house, whatever. So we we're just all, all these different places, and we just ran around till the till till it was dark. Uh, my son didn't get to grow up that, that way, so he didn't get to have as many friends running around, and we had to drive everywhere. Uh, it just became a different thing. So growing up there, the weather's perfect, everything's wonderful, except. And I've said this publicly before, the politics in California, the taxes, the regulations, the the ridiculous laws that they've been passing have gotten to the point where I was just really getting uh, just frustrated. And I, I've been vocal and I have voted the way I've wanted to vote. And it's gone the other way in California. And finally, it got to the point where 
it was just getting so ridiculous. My son was like, you know, he was not, he doesn't care if we lived in Malibu because I hadn't, I hadn't been in the ocean and I, and I lived right over the ocean. So every, all I saw was the ocean. I thought I will never leave here. And I was convinced I would never leave there. And then he was like, dad, I don't even care about being in Malibu. You know, there's nothing for me to do here. Hmm. Um, and I had moved my parents to Las Vegas about a year and a half ago. And um, part of the reason was because they'd always been talking about Las Vegas. They loved Las Vegas. And the other part was that they had been living with me for a little while, and I just needed to get them out. Enough. Enough, Mom and Dad. My mom was like, um, <clears throat> you know, um, honey, you need to get, you need to be out. There. You need to get married and blah, blah, blah. Mom, I can't even get a date because I can't bring anybody home because you're here. And like, hi, here's my house and here's my mom. <laughs> and, and she's going to judge you because she's judging you right now. Um, she's looking at your clothes and wondering why you're wearing those shoes or that, you know? So I was like, you know, my can't, you know, so they, I moved them to Las Vegas. Um, and I, they were sort of our reconnaissance team and they were kind of running around experiencing things. And we spent more time out here and, um, and I was out here with my son who wanted to have, uh, I don't know, he wanted to come out here for something. And, and we were out here and, um, I said, you know, I want to, I've been looking at houses for, I'd been looking at houses for two years and he had been hearing me you know, complain about the politics of California constantly. And I would just, here comes another stupid bill. Here comes something else that's insane. You know, I went through the the, the family law system in California. It cost me about a million and a half dollars in loyal, legal fees. I had to pay her attorney and my attorney. It's a California equal footing law. Um, I had to jump through all these hoops. It was insane. It was uh, one of the things I was going to go out and do, <clears throat> excuse me, was fight for father's rights because what I had, the things I had to do are insane. I can see why fathers would turn around and just go, all right, enough. I, I, my whole life has been, as it was, my whole life was completely upended. I had to turn down huge amounts of money and huge projects because I couldn't be away for any particular period of time. It was very specific, to be honest. Um, I couldn't miss my time or I wouldn't get it. It all came down to me being able to take jobs, even though I was the only breadwinner. Yeah, you take jobs. If I took jobs, then I was a absentee father, mm. you know, because my schedule wasn't nine to five. And all that worked against me. It was terrible. Um, and it cost me so much money. But I ended up at the end of it getting full custody of my son. And and um, that's wonderful. And I was very, very fortunate. But, you know, the system is set up wrong. It's set up incorrectly. It's not really the way they've got it. It, it turns everybody into adversaries as, as opposed to really what's what's for the child's best interest and now it's to the point where they put in a new law where they're pushing through that's that says you know if you don't affirm your child's gender um then the if the other parent does custody is immediately going to go to the other uh, other parent um there's all and it's ugly when you get in the family law it's ugly and so that's going to be affecting a lot of people's lives uh, i think people will use it as a tool unfortunately um and and it's gonna it's gonna hurt people i think it's gonna cost lives it's stuff like that that made me know you go know, just you know what it's time to get out of here hmm. i'm not a fan of governor gavin newsom um i'm not a fan of him talking about you know california freedom and all that baloney he is California is turning into a terrible place to live. And I and, and those with the money who can flee have fled. And I'm one of those. And uh, it's I'm, I'm nearby enough if I have to go in there for work, which I've done a couple of times, I pop in for the day. But then I get out as fast as possible. Hmm. Um, I just don't like the policies. And there's not much to do where, where I live compared to uh, 
here in Las Vegas where there's just tons. I've seen a bunch of summer league basketball games already. Um, my dad and I, my my mom, we all go to dinner and do things. There's a gajillion restaurants. There's six restaurants in Malibu. You know, it's just so for me, it's just it turned into um, fleeing terrible policies, fleeing terrible regulations and taxes and 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 coming out here to uh, a little nirvana. And it's been it's been brilliant. Uh, it's a huge change, but it's been brilliant for myself and for my son. Good. And I loved it, too. And I have to ask you, I mean, you're very involved in politics. Obviously, you voice your opinion. What about getting into politics, Dean? Mm, man, I thought the film business was sleazy and ugly and <laughs> yuck. Um, it yeah, is. Politics, I know. It's horrible. It is. But the thing is, and you see it, and and, and you you know it as well as anybody, but you see it. Those who go into politics always want to stay in power. Mm. They just want to stay in power. Yes. There's something about having that power, the power of the per- – they're all – so many of them are corrupt. Um, and, and it's – you could be corrupt adjacent, you know. Um, your friends are getting contracts, your business associates, your, all the things that they do. It's just, it's just that's why they never want to leave. They love that power. Uh, I, I would go into it for altruistic reasons. If I ever, ever got into politics, I would come in with the idea of I'm going to make life better for my constituents, for the people who were here. Um, and that's what I would that's what I would attempt to do. I literally would go into it with completely altruistic um, concepts and ideas and try not to let the system and corrupt me. And I understand that there's a lot of um, concessions that need to be made to get deals done. I do get that. That's really frustrating. Um, but at a certain place, you know, playing that game correctly. And it is a game. Um, you can really do wonderful things for people. And, I, and that's the only reason I would get into politics at all. It's to try to do good things for my my state, my constituents, my country. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the it's the 100% the truth. And hopefully if I do at some point in time decide to, and I have a lot of friends who are in politics. I have lots of friends who are congressmen and uh, Congress people, whatever, and senators and uh, state senators and things of that nature. And, um, you know, obviously sheriffs and things of that nature who have been elected that um, I see a lot of it. And I, and I see who's got that, um, that desire to serve, to really be a, a, a people's servant. And, and, and I respect it tremendously. I also see those, who don't have that, yes. who who are all about themselves and who are about their power and could care less about their constituents other than get me reelected. And so I that I abhor. I know. And I think there needs to be more people like you contemplating these positions in politics. So or like you, Miss Janice Dean. <laughs> well, you know, it's- <laughs> It's something I have thought about. It's something that people have approached me on, and it wasn't the right time, you know, last year. But I'm not going to rule it out because I feel like we need more of that. We need people who have been affected by policies or government that realize there's something wrong here and the right people that want to make a change for the better for the people around them. I think that we need more people like that. So you and I are going to keep in touch about that. I want to yes, wrap well, this. That's what, Go ahead. Yes, but I was going to say that's what they call a citizen politician, which is what we were supposed to be. It's how our country yes. was founded. And that's how it's supposed to have been. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we can return it to that. I would like that. Okay, so let's yes, keep ma'am. talking about that in the future. I want to wrap this up by you talking about your son, because yeah. I, you know, obviously you're 
you like to comment on politics and things of what's happening out in the world today. But when you talk about your son, I am just in awe and amazement and I just love you even more. So tell me about him. <laughs> well, my son is my favorite person in the whole world. He is imperfect. He is certainly far from perfect, but he's such a sweet, wonderful so I am just so he's my greatest accomplishment. He is my favorite person to hang out with. He is um, he's a young man. He's 23 years old and he's just trying to figure out this world and this life and and find his place in it. And um, he's making plenty of mistakes and uh, I'm there to help try to correct him. And uh, but I also at the same time, it's so funny. I remember the first time like I remember the first time when when I got sick one time and he showed up and was giving me, you know, cold compresses because I was running a high fever and he was bringing me food. I was like, oh my, who is this person? Um, and of course, it's all the things that I've done for him throughout his life. I've just, I just am so proud to have raised such a wonderful young man, again, who is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but who is perfect to me. Um, and he is, he is my favorite person. And um, I have devoted such a huge part of my life to raising him and making all the decisions as far as where, you know, what I did for a career and where I'd go, because, because I think it's such an important thing to do. I had a father, you know, my father actually adopted me when I was young, when I was four. Um, and he's been the biggest influence in my whole life, which is part of the reason that I'm out here near my parents. Um, because I know where I would have gone without him. And I'm sure my son knows very well, where he might have gone or the things that he might not have had or experienced without having me in his life and such a committed father. So we have a great mutual respect and just a tremendous bond. And um, he, you know, he remains my favorite <laughs> kid, even when he messes, you know, he's in Las Vegas. Now there's plenty of ways to go wrong here. <laughs> and uh, he's still being pretty wonderful. And um, of course he's asleep right now. I mean, it's 10, 15 in the morning and he doesn't have work yet because he hasn't gotten a job and he's still trying to decide whether he's going to go to grad school or not. Um, and and I give him that grace, no question about it, but it's just being a father to me. And, and listen, it may not be the same for anybody else. And I would never put my values as a parent on others, but I think it's, it's just become the most incredible gift and um, the most trials and tribulations. You become so vulnerable as a parent. Yes. He had a heart murmur as a kid and it was, it ended up being, um, innocent and uh, and but there was a real danger and i remember stopping my car dri driving home and he was with his mom that day and i wasn't able to take him home but he was fine and it was wonderful and i was driving home to my house in malibu and i stopped on my little hill there and i had a very clear heart-to-heart -heart, tearful conversation with god saying i i don't know that i can have more children because i can't take it if something happens to them you're so vulnerable and it just destroys you. And, and I just, um, I just, I was just worried that if I had more kids that, uh, that my heart would explode, you know, and <laughs> if something happened to any of them and, uh, my, my other friends are like, look, have like six kids. Then you just don't even care anymore. <laughs> you can't even tell one from the other. I was like, well, that's an interesting concept, but uh, I can't even see that right now. I need to get married. I understand that. that. I mean, I had Matthew, my first one. And then when I had Theodore, there was this 
strange guilt that I wouldn't love Matthew as much. And I went through this really tough time, soul searching period where I was like, how am I going to love two? Because I love this one little boy so much. How is my heart going to hold so much love for this other child? But it's there, Dean. It really is there. (laughs) Um, And so I do encourage more children. You know, you still can have them. Oh yeah, I'm a man. I, I got I got 30 years left. I can have kids. <laughs> what they say, oh, Charlie yeah. Chaplin had kids until he was like 84. Well, wow, <laughs> that's that's older than my dad. So I mean, that's also Larry King. You know, Larry King and I, we our kids were playing playing uh, flag football against each other. I was coaching against Larry's kids. Rest in peace, my friend. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it. He was he was having them up till the uh, till the, the Robert De Niro just had another kid. <laughs> I mean, and Mick uh, Jagger, hey. they're all having. You got at least three, three, four decades ahead of you with with <laughs> children plans. Well, it's nice now because I got everything set up. You it's do. A lot easier. I can attest to that. You are all set up, my friend. <laughs> but I will tell you one of the most beautiful moments that I had with you is when I showed you the picture of my two boys, and I just remember your face. It was just like you didn't even say anything. It was just like Janice, this is the best. And I know how you feel when you show me a picture of your two boys, because I feel the same. The truth. That's what's on my screensaver on my phone. And there's a reason for it. Uh, I just, I used to get butterflies in my stomach, picking my son up from school, which I did every day, Mm. every day. I would get all excited. I'd see him. He'd smile at me when he saw me and I would just go, uh, it's what life is all about. It's crazy. It's, it's family. crazy the love you have for your kids. Yeah. And I'm so proud of you. And I just yes. think you're such and a that great example. everything. It just, you're such a great example of, of showing how important it is to have family around you, because I think we need that now more than ever. Yes, ma'am. Your words to God's ears. Yeah. Well, I consider you part of my family now, whether you like it or not. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> oh, Dean, thank you so much for taking time out. And uh, this will not be the last time you make the Dean's List. No, I want to be on the Dean's List. It's a good list to be on. <laughs> okay, my friend. Oh, I love you. Thank you so much for doing this. I know I took a lot of your time. I appreciate that. I just had, I had so many questions. and No way. It's phenomenal. I loved it. I'll talk to you anytime about anything. Uh, I love you too. I'm going to, I feel the same way. So uh, you let me know when you're back around this neighborhood and, oh, and your brother, Roger, I just love him too. Holy moly. I love your whole family. Man, he was, when we were at Tournament of Kings, that kid was on fire. That's maybe the funniest I've seen him in 20 years. Oh my God. We got to do it again. It has to happen. It must, we must do it again. Agreed, a hundred percent. And I have to tell you, after those two lemonade drinks, I don't remember what happened. Yeah, those things were powerful. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I don't think they were I, really powerful. I feel like I did was sitting at that table at dinner, and I didn't say much of anything because I couldn't like put words out of my mouth. <laughs> so I apologize if I said, "Well, you, your family, we can say anything we want." Yeah, you can say anything you want, do anything you want. There's nothing wrong there. <laughs> All right, my friend, I love you. I love you. And uh, say say hi to everybody for me and uh, to be continued.
Thank you, Dean Kane, for spending time with us today. We taped our conversation a few weeks ago when the writers and actors strike was just starting. So I didn't get to ask him about his thoughts on the strike, which is, of course, now exploded into a big news story. Dean is an active SAG-AFTRA member, and he was on Fox and Friends this past week commenting on what was happening in the industry. Dean says as a member, he supports the strike, but he hopes it comes to a resolution very soon. Like any organization, there's good and bad things that have happened over the decades, and many people are out of work, which is terrible. Paying people fairly is important, and when it comes to changes in the industry, like the huge boom in streaming, rules and regulations need to adapt in sharing the wealth. Dean says the streaming world has changed film and television completely. There needs to be fair compensation for it. He hopes both sides come together very soon and agree on a solution that benefits everyone. So thank you, Dean, for being a guest and now an official member of the Dean's List. You really are a superhuman, and I'm so grateful to know you. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.